Hello and welcome to episode three of BloxCast, a digital media podcast brought to you by your friends at townnews.com. Hi, I'm your host, Rick Rogers, Vice President at Town News, and I am extremely excited about this episode's guest, Jed Williams. Jed is the Chief Innovation Officer at the Local Media Association, and he is someone that I have the utmost respect for when it comes to understanding the pulse of what's going on in digital media and in local media throughout the country and even on the global scale. Jed is someone that I run into at conferences all across the country. He is an incredible speaker. He understands the opportunities and the challenges that face local media leaders today. And we have an incredible conversation on this episode about a variety of topics that are very, I think, top of mind for local media leaders, whether it be digital subscription growth and opportunity, whether, you know, revenue diversification. We talk about social media and how that's playing into local media decisions today. We even talk a little bit about video and some revenue opportunities there. Jed and I, uh, we love to talk local media. We admit we kind of geek out about it, but I think you'll really enjoy our near hour-long conversation about a lot of topics that are very much on the mind of folks today in 2018. And then we do a little forward thinking about what uh, some opportunities could be for 2019 and beyond. So I encourage you to sit back, relax, Enjoy my conversation with Jed Williams, Chief Innovation Officer with the Local Media Association. Well, listen, Jed, I, again, can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, have a conversation with me on the Blockscast about all things digital media. You know, you and I, we joke all the time about how we're road warriors and how uh, we get to travel across the country and visit with local media organizations, whether it be at conferences or maybe at their offices and share best practices. And I don't know about you, but that's probably, well, there's no question. That's the favorite part about my job is getting to go and be on site with uh, local me- local media leaders. And I'm sure you uh, enjoy it as well. I, I echo that a thousand percent, Rick. I don't even know if a thousand percent is a percentage, but if that's a real percentage, I might even take that up to a million percent. I mean, it, I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, we were just chatting offline. We, we, we've got to, you know, the challenges and the opportunities in the industry, we're in really fortunate roles where we get to go really be around these these publishers and these media companies who are trying to conquer these challenges and take advantage of these opportunities all the time. And the more we can be in the field, the more empathy and deep understanding we can have for their circumstances and what gives them the best conditions for sustainable success and for growth, you know, the better off we're all going to be, whether it's LMA as an industry association or town news or name the publisher. I mean, I, I really view it from an ecosystem point of view and I, I'm with you. I mean, there's just no replacing being face to face, really, you know, being tactile, having that direct contact uh, with the ecosystem, and I mean everything, I mean newspaper, broadcast, R&D, just being face-to-face, um, hearing what's working, hearing what's not, hearing what people need to empower their progress. And so it's, I just, I echo everything you said, Rick, and it's it's good timing on that too. I was literally this earlier this week uh, in Chicago for a conference that LMA had that was really focused around digital marketing services and digital agency, which is just one of many big opportunities in the space. 
but certainly one of the bigger ones. And it was great to, you know, be with about a hundred media executives and hear a spectrum of perspectives and really understand uh, where success is happening and where struggle is happening and how we move, steer more of the industry in the right direction around that opportunity. So through all your interactions this year, and as we enter kind of what is, I guess you could say, the final stretch of 2018, you know, in terms of innovation, discussion, strategy, conversations you've had with local media leaders, what's the big headline in 2018? Yeah, that's, I mean, that is the question, right? And I think it's probably tough to narrow it down to one headline because I think depending on who you're talking to, you might get a different headline or you might get a set of headlines, Rick. And I think that can vary to a certain degree by medium, uh, broadcast, newspaper, et cetera. I think it can depend on the size and the type of the company. Is it a big corporate, deeply resourced company? Is it a smaller, private, independent, maybe more nimble, scrappy company? I think those can all be levers and factors. But if I had to answer the question directly, if I had to bubble it up to one thought, and I don't think this is going to be surprising, but I think it needs to be said over and over again, uh, I'm not only saying now that revenue diversification is important. I, I like to go further and say revenue diversification for local media companies, big and small, public and private, is a strategic imperative. It really is. And so when you look, we're always, you know, at LMA, our mission is, new and sustainable business models. And I really want to focus on the sustainable. If we're going to talk about the sustainability of the local news ecosystem, then we need to look at sustainable revenue streams. And a sustainable model, in my mind, Rick, is not going to just be one thing. It's not going to be consumer or advertiser, subscriptions or agency. It's going to be a number of things. I think it's going to be a multi-leg stool. I really do. I think that the legs of that stool will vary by the type of company and by their, you know, sort of market conditions and conditions for success. But I think revenue diversification, you know, it's going to be different for different types of companies, but that is the strategic imperative. And the biggest pendulum swing certainly has been toward consumer, toward direct consumer revenue in a variety of forms, which, you know, for most media, as you know, has historically been a much, particularly in digital, has been a much smaller piece of the pie. But now as we start to talk about a real push into subscriptions and real growth in digital subscriptions, not bundled subscriptions, not just print, but digital only subscriptions. And as we extend that into things like membership models and loyalty programs, and then you extend that deeper into database programs, as you guys know so well, at first party data and how to leverage that to get consumers to do more things directly with your brand, whether it's events, promotions, contesting, whatever, um, there's been such a, a noteworthy shift toward consumer, but I would just advise that I think, you know, plunging only in, into consumer at the expense of thinking more broadly about a, a multi-tiered revenue model is dangerous. So to me, it's about versatility and diversity in the revenue model, but clearly what has taken on energy and steam, you know, has been the consumer side, Rick, particularly with subscriptions. Well, and that's where I wanted to go next, Jed, was, you know, obviously the reports came out earlier this month. The New York Times saw significant revenue growth tied to digital subscription growth. We see the same from the Washington Post, from the Wall Street Journal, from these what I consider to be global brands. Yeah. And I know in my conversations with, with local media leaders, they're looking at what's happening on the, on the global scale and wondering, why can't that be us or can that be us? And I guess my question to you is how can 
Main Street, the Main Street Daily News translate what's happening at the New York, you know, the New York Times and the Washington Post to Main Street USA or can it translate? And, and you know, what what should be some of the first steps to creating a type of digital subscription model where they can start seeing some significant revenue growth in a category that traditionally over the last decade plus has been either stagnant or seeing small single digit declines year over year. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. That is the persistent question, right? And I don't, I don't have a perfectly baked answer. I'm not sure anybody at the Metro level has a perfectly baked answer. We're clearly in a, a time and an era of, a, of ex- deep experimentation and that's great. Rapid experimentation it's a little funny to say that because, as you were sort of hinting at a minute ago, it's, it's not like the notion of subscriptions are new, but I think it's the way that we're thinking about subscriptions, particularly digital-only subscriptions, that require new ways of thinking, new competencies and skills, potentially new talent, and then also, obviously, potentially new content. And so, you know, there are certainly some examples of metro dailies, big metro dailies, but not national brands. So you draw a really important distinction there. The Post, The Times, The Wall Street Journal, The Financial Times, those are national brands. But if we look at Metro dailies like the Minneapolis Star Tribune, Dallas Morning News, the San Francisco Chronicle, and, and uh, the Seattle Times, and probably the one that, that tends to bubble up the most is the Boston Globe, we're starting to see some real successes with digital subscriptions and bundled subscriptions with those publications. Uh, I spent a bunch of time at the San Francisco Chronicle about a month ago on an innovation mission that we led. And they've seen great growth. I don't have the exact, you know, month over month, year over year, paying subscriber growth numbers, Rick. But I do know this, and this gets into some best practices or some ideas to test. You know, they've had tremendous success with newsletters, and that's certainly not a rarity to them. But they're getting something like 200 new newsletter signups to a variety of different newsletters, both daily news briefings and then more category-specific sort of things, 200 new newsletter signups every single day from their site and in, and in different domains. And that's such a critical step for them in, first off, moving somebody from an unknown user to a known user and beginning that process of moving them through a quote-unquote funnel. And historically, we've really thought about funnels in advertising and marketing, right? We kind of grew up and we all took the economics and the business school classes where we talked about the classic purchase funnel, and it was all around advertising except now we're extending so many of those principles into consumer marketing, and it's not new to the rest of the world, right? I mean, these, these, this notion of consumer funnels, I mean, if you look at retail or consumer packaged goods or e-commerce or whatever, I mean, they've been playing deeply in that for years, if not decades, and that's where I'm saying that's new to us. Different skill sets, different ways of thinking about customer journey, audience engagement, really building data around who a user is to understand how to move them through toward an action. And here that ultimate action is, is subscription. And so for the San Francisco Chronicle, that getting somebody into a newsletter relationship, acquiring that first party data and getting them to engage with you more regularly and more deeply with your content and brand is a key mid funnel step on the path to moving them toward the bottom of the funnel. Similar sort of thing, Rick, at the Seattle Times, uh, they built out nine or 10 newsletters. Those newsletters explicitly have a goal of converting people ultimately into paying subscribers. Uh, and they have found that a newsletter subscriber is 20 to 25 times more likely to subscribe than somebody coming from the side door, 
coming from social media, coming from Facebook 25 times. So, you know, I think this all really comes back to, I mean, we could go on and on, but it's, it's this notion of how much do you know about your audience? What do you need to do to acquire that data to begin to inform yourselves? And, you know, getting an email address is a really good start, but then adding more and more signals and more and more data so that you can understand what to serve that person that's more valuable and gets them more attached and stickier to your brand. Uh, I mean, all of these things are, are really critical. At the end of the day, it's about value exchange. So if you really know who they are and you know things that they're interested in or more, may be interested in, and you can serve them those sorts of things in a, in a delightful kind of way, you have an opportunity to earn their trust and ultimately earn a, a paying relationship. And it's, it's hard to do, but I think it really starts with data. And obviously at the end of the day, it ends with content. Do you have content that is unique? Do you have content, and I use this term a lot, Rick, content that's high utility, that helps a user solve a problem or get a job done, whatever that might be in their lives. And if you have that, you've got a good start. And I think there's some learnings we can take from some pure plays and from, from digital publishers who, one, really take that consumer funnel set, but two, really think about their content, not horizontally, but vertically. And how do you build deep expertise in a particular category where you can create enthusiasts, people that are passionate about that, and you can help them improve their lives and get a job done. And that's a bit of a mindset shift for a lot of news media companies, but I think an important one in this day and age. I want to touch on the content conversation in a minute, but first, I'm curious your thoughts on if culturally we are at a tipping point where the idea of paying for content online is not something that just seems so out of the ordinary. You know, you and I, I think, are very are close in age. I have a lot more gray hair than you, but I, <laughs> I think I'm a little older, a little older. But, but you know, when when the internet was, you know, when Al Gore invented the internet, as I joke, <laughs> you know, we remember when every it was it was the wild wild west, and music. You know, you could get music for free, and you know all this content that was free, and industries, whether it be you know our industry and the media or the record industry were just turned upside down. But now I look at my kids, which are teenagers and my sisters who are quite a bit younger than me, uh, one's in her twenties. And the idea of paying for content online is not foreign to them. Honestly, it's expected, right? My sister has no problem. She's a cord cutter. She has no problem paying, you know, 10, 12 bucks for Netflix. She pays for Hulu um, you know, she pays for other types of con iTunes. Um, you know, she has a subscription to iTunes or Spotify. Yeah. So I think the idea of finding that sweet spot price point, whether it's nine ninety five a month or twelve dollars a month, and getting getting this I hate I hate the word millennials. I hate the term that, but you know, mm -hmm. getting this new audience that's coming up and getting them ingrained into the, their local media. I think it's a huge opportunity and I think now is the time that we have to act and the, and I look at this window as really starting now. I'm just kind of curious if you feel the same. I do. I agree with you overall. I mean, I think obviously there are some nuances and some challenges within that, some complexities, but I agree with that in principle, Rick. I really do. I think that's well-framed. I think, um, I think a couple of things. I think one is there's an opportunity for media in general. And in this instance, local media to sort of, for lack of a better term, draft off of or ride the coattails of the learnings 
of Netflix and Spotify and Hulu and companies like that, but also the sort of the cultural mindset conditioning uh, or conditions that they've created around content. So kind of back to your point, right? It took companies like that with national scale uh, and entirely new value propositions and products and platforms to kind of change this mindset over the past few years. That you know what? Quality content, quality information delivered in a quality environment with a great user experience. Yeah, people actually will value that. And to put it bluntly, they'll value it with a, with a credit card. And they'll value it in a recurring way where it's always on. Like, you don't even think, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I know in my case, like, I never even think about my Netflix bill, Rick. I, don't I have think no about idea it. when I pay it. I have no idea when I pay it. No idea right. with my card. Exactly. And so we're not thinking about it like ad campaigns, right? It's not like, oh, I'm running a campaign. I'm running a special in the newspaper for the month or I'm running a digital you know, a display and targeting campaign for three months and then it's over and then it's it's done and you got to go back and resell them. I mean, that's one of the really compelling things about a, a Netflix or Spotify model is this notion of on until cancel. It's just there. It's recurring. It's an annuity business for them and it's a different type of mental or psychological conditioning for the consumer. So I think they've actually really, though they're in different businesses, they've actually really helped us in terms of how they've maybe reframed consumer thought about content online in various formats over the past five to 10 years. So I do think there's an opportunity for media in general, and you're seeing that with the Times and the Post, and you're seeing that with digital publishers, whether it's the information or uh, certainly there's some publishers on the financial side that are doing this, the technology side. I would just say, Rick, um, I think think publishers, local media need to take advantage of the moment you're talking about but it, it can't, it, it, and it is par- primary, uh, excuse me, partially a pricing discussion, but it's also got to be a value okay. discussion. Yes. People okay. will pay, but they're not just going to pay to pay. There's got to be real value exchange. It's got to solve a problem. It's got to be a really nice, not a broken, not a friction-filled user experience. Because the, the other part of this, and then I'll, I'll pause, is now it, it's kind of the other end of the spectrum, right? In the past, it was maybe no one would pay for any content online. Now it's, I subscribed to eight things online or 10 things online. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it becomes like, well, wait a minute. I, I can't, I'm not going to subscribe to everything. So I have to be judicious with my decisions and my money. And so for, as a consumer, and so for a local media company to break through, they've really got to create unique value there. And obviously the price point has to be right too. Jed, I'll say this. If I canceled my Netflix and the Apple Music subscriptions, I would be taken hostage in my own house by my two children and my wife and not allowed to leave until I until I reinstated them. Put it that way. That's how passionate. That's how much, you know, those <laughs> programs are ingrained in our daily lives in our house. Rick, Rick, they're a member of the family, it sounds like. They they are, trust me. So <laughs> let's talk about content. So obviously, yeah. you know, there's an opportunity here, I think, with with audience growth, you talked about the price point. Um, my worry about content is as newsrooms, and we see the headlines nearly every month, as newsrooms continue to shrink, uh, let's face it, the, the, the newsprint tariffs, which we won't even get into in this conversation, but they, we can't ignore it, are having an effect on, on the bottom line of our, of our partners. Yeah. But as newsrooms continue to shrink, you know, how can we ensure that we have the content that, you know, will get someone to hit that subscribe button on their phone or on their computer and, and, and turn that credit card information over? 
make yeah. that purchase. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, you're not asking lighthearted questions today. These are the big <laughs> ones, right? These are the big rocks that we've got to figure out. And uh, again, I don't think anybody has a perfect solution. I, I mean, I like to sort of joke, and I don't mean this globally. If there was a playbook, we would have either written it and we'd be millionaires or maybe billionaires, or we'd all be just reading from it every day, right? If that one playbook existed. With that said, you know, I have a couple of thoughts on this from a content perspective. Uh, and I, I learned, you know, I had some some pretty deep learnings about this. I mentioned that that innovation mission we had a couple of months ago in San Francisco. There was a lot of time spent on this. We visited the information. We visited NerdWallet. We spent a bunch of time with the San Francisco Chronicle. And a lot of what came out of those discussions on the content and audience side is basically without, you know, without, without violating the sanctity of the role of a journalist, and that's really critical, uh, how do you get your journalists and your newsroom more aligned with your business model? Where they understand your business model and there are some direct sort of KPIs and correlations between the work that journalists and newsroom are doing in editorial and your business model. Uh, NerdWallet is a great example of that. Like they are creating really targeted, highly useful content in personal finance. How to help somebody make a decision about which credit card to apply for or which mortgage loan is preferred. So it's, it helps a user get a job done. And those journalists are doing high quality work, but they also understand directly how the content they're creating affects the decisions that users, consumers make that ultimately leads to their business model. That's one example. Maybe a more specific and relevant example would be the Seattle Times. So the Seattle Times right, you know, has been pretty successful in building out their digital subscriptions base, uh, and they want to continue to grow it. And they have something called an analytics hub. And so they basically you know, took their development team with some of their journalists and took a week and did a little kind of growth hacking exercise or hackathon or whatever you want to call it. And they basically built out a homegrown analytics hub where um, their journalists could understand, and there's you know methodology behind this, but their journalists could understand directly how the content that each person was creating over a, a one day, a one week, and a one month span was directly contributing to the, the click stream and engagement stream of a user and ultimately whether or not that user subscribed. So, you know, is it a perfect one-for-one -one correlation? Probably not, but it's one of the better ones I've seen, Rick, in going in helping journalists understand this content helped this many users on a path to subscribe. So you can understand to a large degree the impact your content has on our business model, which is ramping up digital subscriptions. So I think that's a really big key in terms of aligning the different parts of our business. It also allows in that sense, and I mean this in the best, most respectful way as somebody who has tremendous respect for what our newsrooms do, which at the end of the day are our mark of distinction as media companies. This I think helps to change the mindset corporately of how media companies think about their newsrooms. And no longer is it now a heavy investment and what direct revenue are we bringing out of that newsroom? It's, wait a minute, our content teams and newsroom teams are doing great work and it directly aligns to the business model. In fact, it contributes to the business model. It helps to propel revenue forward. That's a really different mindset, I think, than what we've had historically and a really important one on the value of our newsrooms and content. The other quick point I would make on content, so I think that's an important one. I've talked a little bit about vertical content. So, you know, horizontal sort of being everyone, do everything to everyone, covering the entire community. 
there's still great value in that, but covering verticals that really matter in your community deeply and tap into passion points that people will pay for, whether corporately or privately, Rick, I think is another important point here that we could spend a bunch more time on. Um, and then I think, you know, and then I think, I mean, I think those are, those are a couple of things that, that I guess jump out to me. There's, there, there's, yeah, there's more we could go into. Um, but, uh, but I mean, I guess, well, I guess the, sorry, the other, the last thing would be to your point, if newsrooms are shrinking and getting smaller before they're getting bigger, uh, and we want to cover verticals and cover things more deeply, but we still want to cover the whole community because that's been the purpose of a newspaper or even a broadcaster historically. How do you do all of that when your staff has plateaued or maybe shrinking? And I think that gets into creative newsroom and creative content structures. And by that, I mean not being afraid to partner, not being afraid to curate, right? Bringing in other sources within your community, partnering to bring in outside content that may help you plug hyper-local holes, may help you plug vertical holes, but helps you maintain a comprehensive content strategy without the thought of you have to build it all or do it all yourself. And so that's another important, I think, mindset shift, but a critical one here. And, and you know, I know some really smart people in the industry and and the, uh, somebody like Jim Brady, for instance, at Spirited sure. Media is a good friend of mine. And one of them, you know, Jim and Billy Penn and, and his other sites, they're very big on a curation model. They have good original content, but they openly do curation and link out also, which is a big idea. And Jim's um, justification of that is he's basically said, Jed, at the end of the day, I want to be the place where somebody starts, but I don't have to be the place where somebody ends. Because if I'm the place where somebody starts, where a consumer, a reader starts, then I can build habit-forming behavior. And that habit is really the nexus of what, or the kind of the nucleus of what we want, getting them coming back to us, attachment with our brands over and over again is the starting point for engagement and information, even if we're not always the final destination. No question. I mean, we just want to, you know, we want to be ingrained in the, you know, the fabric of our readers' lives and a place where they go, you know, not just once a day, but possibly multiple times a day. You know, one of the ways that Town News has tried to help fill those gaps for our newsroom partners is, was the development of our content exchange. You know, we yeah. now have over 500 of our partners, uh, which is, you know, almost 40%, uh, 35% that are participating in the exchange and sharing content with each other. You know, so when Hurricane Harvey hits South Texas and our partners in, in Hartman and Southern newspapers are providing incredible local coverage, you know, our, our other partners in the, North, in, in the Northwest can use that content on their site. Um, the, the person never actually leaves that site, but the canonical tag and the SEO benefits are then passed along to the creator of the content. And, you know, that's been a way for us to be able to provide, you know, uh, some, some, some content strategy and content diversification for our partners. And, you know, along with, you know, we have partnerships with CNN and Pro Football Weekly and, you know, yeah. News. And, and I think all of that has to be part of the mix. And, you know, I know that both of us are, are quite good friends with David Arkin. And I think one thing that, you know, I could, he's on my list for a future guest and a big <laughs> conversation with him is going to be around, you know, I, we, you know, we call it, you know, news you can use. Yeah. Um, news that, you know, has a direct impact on the life of, you know, the, the soccer mom or, you know, the business leader in that community, whether it be street closings due to maintenance or school updates and just, you know, really succinct, succinct coverage um, 
the content that is vital to the day-to-day life of, of folks in that area. And I think that's, I, I think that's, I think it's a great point. I, I know that DA will have really rich perspective on that. You know, he's led that in a number of places. And I think that's right. I mean, it kind of gets back to that notion of really creating utilitarian content, high utility. And that, you know, Rick, that doesn't mean don't cover the, the, the state house or don't cover city council. Of course, cover city council. Of course, cover, you know, the mayor's office. Like we need the true big J stuff. And that does affect our lives. But what affects our lives more day to day is, like you said, road closings, what's going on with schools, new restaurants, business openings, business closings, uh, events around town, how to help a, a single mom make decisions with her time and with her income, how to help a family make decisions that are enriching to their lives. Um, you know, that's really high utility local content that our brands are in a great position to do. Doesn't mean do the other things, but it does mean do things like this that help people navigate their city and navigate their lives and make more informed decisions. And I think that's really one of our great opportunities to, to um, remain and become even more vital to them. And in a you know fractured, fragmented, distributed, social, online world to, to really create and fortify that habit forming behavior. So as you know, I live in Dallas. I know that you have Dallas roots. You know, I yeah. subscribe to the Dallas Morning News. I get the Sunday paper with digital every day. And then I receive the Community Impact um, newspaper in my mailbox every month. And I will say they're totally, they are the most different models you could ever imagine, but they are both vital to, you know, life here in in Dallas and in Frisco where I live. And, you know, if I want to know about, you know, the restaurant that's opening down the street, Community Impact is is the number one source for that type of news. If I want to know what's going on in, in the DFW area, whether it be with sports or news or government, the morning news has that covered. And, and, and uh, you know, both are, are must reads in, in our household and, and uh, you know, really kind of fill separate lanes, but are, you know, both extreme success stories for sure. So, hey, let's, let's pivot. Okay. Um, we know attention, attention spans are short. Um, so I do want to talk to you about social media. Um, you know, obviously over the past year, there's been a lot of heartburn about, you know, Facebook and some of the changes there. I know that the local media association is, is very, you know, glued into what Facebook is doing and, and, and it has a great direct line of, of communication with them along with our, of course, local media organizations. But, you know, in today's environment, you know, what's the number one thing that local media companies, whether broadcast or newspaper should be doing to leverage social media, um, today, whether it be Facebook, you know, we'll throw Twitter and, and Instagram into the rest of it. What's the, what's the, what's the big thing in your, in your opinion? Sure. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Like Facebook is literally my next call Rick, after this podcast. So I'm talking <laughs> to them. I feel like almost daily at this point. And, and I want to, I want to quickly say something about them, that there has been a whole bunch of heartburn and indigestion and angst and anxiety, and there should be. That announcement that came down in January was a real gut punch, I think, to media in general and to local media. And like, I'm not going to I'm not going to dance around that. I'm not going to pretend that didn't happen. That was a big moment. And I think that really hurt us all. It made us wonder what's the future of that relationship and what does that platform mean to us? And what are they, you know, we're not breaking up with them necessarily, but are they breaking up with us or are they dating other people or whatever? analogy you want to use. I will say I work very closely with the Facebook local news partnerships team. 
Jason White, Josh Mabry, et cetera. And I think those guys are really sincere in trying to find ways to help publishers. Now, it doesn't mean that everything Facebook does is going to do that or that they have total control over all of the products that Facebook is building or changing. But I have seen sincere uh, commitment and effort by that team over the past several months. Um, uh, working groups, um, greater listening, obviously putting some skin in the game with the subscriptions accelerator uh, that they launched a few months ago with several Metro dailies. And now a recent announcement that they're going to, you know, double down on that and then do another accelerator. So I, I think it's, you know, I, I commend them on that. We need more of it and we'll be watching and working with them to hopefully create more of those opportunities. With all of that said, you know, I did a talk a week ago or so at a convention all about Facebook, the whole thing. It was an hour and 15 minutes just on Facebook, Rick. And most of it was tied to revenue. Are there still real revenue opportunities with Facebook or not? And I contended that there are, but you got to work at them. It's, it's not low-hanging fruit. You're not going to get rich off of it. Uh, you've got to be, you've got to be creative and do different things with branded content or, you know, with, with, with sponsored kind of programs on Facebook. But the larger point in all of that, and I think the point to make here is, I believe media companies, local media companies, must view Facebook as a marketing vehicle and a marketing tentacle and an important one, but nothing more and nothing less. And I think Agreed. one of the, yeah. yeah, I think I think one of the mistakes historically, right, was we we just kind of overinvested in what that platform should be to us. We don't own that platform; they own that platform, and that's neither a good or a bad thing. That's their business and that's their decision. I'm not somebody that has angst about that. They're running a business. We made decisions to invest heavily in building content and audience for that platform specifically. And I think we had a wake-up call. I think January 12th was a, you know what, media? It's time to put your eye back on the ball. And the ball is what really matters to you. And what really matters to you is your brand and your audience and your customers. We have two customers. We have reader, you know, consumer customers, and we have advertiser customers. And we have our own brands and we worked so hard and so diligently over so many decades to build and nurture and protect those. Um, let's not compromise those. Let's not loosely give those away or co-op them somewhere else. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't have Facebook strategies because we need to. We need to be there. But those strategies should be about building and nurturing relationships there. It ultimately can move back into a more controllable branded, you know, for lack of a better term, owned and operated relationship. Because kind of last point, Rick, on this, uh, the word that I often feared for years, and I think we see it, saw it play out, I feared the word conflation on Facebook. And by that, I mean, people would just go to Facebook over and over again. They would see quality content from media brands. And they would actually, when they were surveyed by Pew or others, they thought that content was Facebook. They conflated the platform with the content. And those are not the same thing. It's Facebook's platform, but it's our quality content driving that engagement. And that can't be conflated as the same thing. So let's go there let's build relationships. Let's find new people to talk to, to work into our funnel, but then let's find ways to get them into our environments with our brands to really build durable and ultimately more valuable relationships. I think that is the role of Facebook and really, uh, to, 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 you know, to my mind, all third-party platforms at this point as we move ahead. I do think one positive out of this whole Facebook discussion has been a reinvestment by media groups into their newsletter programs. 
because I think, you know, obviously they were looking, you know, for another way to get their content to their audience. And it, it really, I think, created a big pivot from Facebook social media to reinvesting, taking a harder look at, you know, their newsletter programs, diversifying the programs, you know, where you have, you know, niche newsletters now. And I don't know if you feel the same way, but I think that's been, I think, kind of a huge positive in this whole I, I, I totally agree with that, Rick. I think newsletter is an example, even, you know, for some, maybe it's broadcast, but I think some newspapers, and I know that Town News is playing heavily in this space, even, you know, like mobile app downloads, right? Just more direct touch points, more direct relationships. And so to kind of bridge this together, when we think about Facebook as, an, as a marketing vehicle, and then you talk about newsletters or app downloads, let's just talk about newsletters for a second. Here's something I would encourage publishers to think about. Um, if you're going to test instant articles, for instance, on Facebook, don't just test instant articles for the remnant ad revenue because you're not going to you're not going to make retirement money on that. But run instant article tests where you can do a, a, a newsletter call to action and acquire email addresses where people directly within instant articles, directly within your content can see what newsletters you offer. Maybe it's a cooking newsletter. Maybe it's a high school sports newsletter. Maybe it's your daily news briefing but they can sign up directly within Facebook. But that data, that email address goes to you. Now they're subscribed to whatever your newsletter is, and you've got a more direct relationship with them that's now off-platform. And you can now you can re-engage them in different ways, and you can study how high quality is that user. They've signed up for the, my newsletter. Are they unsubscribing a month later? Are they? What's their open rate? What's their click rate? You can start to really understand the value of that segment or different segments coming from social. So that would be an example of Facebook as an important marketing vehicle at the top of the funnel to drive audience there to do something that's directly connected to your brand, which is sign up for one of your newsletters. Okay, two more topics. And then I definitely want to talk about what's on tap for the local media association. Um, okay. let's, let's, let's pivot the video. Okay. <laughs> the, biggest, the biggest question I get when I talk to especially newspaper partners about video is we know we need to be in the space. How the heck do we monetize it and CROI? And I, I'm just curious if you hear the same thing, that is the number one question. The other question is content, but you know, that's, that's, you know, I think the bigger question is, is, is ROI and, and revenue on video any ideas for, you know, the, the newspaper partner out there in the small to medium market that, you know, they, they're looking to go into video, they want to invest, but they're just not sure how to monetize the platform. I do have some ideas. And also, I will echo you again, if I had a nickel for every time that question is asked, uh, you know, I'd be buying you dinner every night this week. I'd be playing golf uh, every day. Yeah, Every day. I'd be on a yacht somewhere, right? Um, <laughs> and, and I'd love your ideas on this, too, and what you're hearing, because I, I don't think anybody has this figured out. And we're all hearing kind of bits and pieces and trying to structure together for a small to mid-sized publisher. What are some best practices? What are some solid things you can hold on to and go test responsibly? A couple of things I would cite would be, I, I know some small to mid-sized publishers. And, and look, I think a lot of this, you hear video and you think it's got to be, you know, laser beams and Star Wars and all this new revolutionary stuff. It doesn't. No. Some of it, Rick, is just blocking and tackling with good content, leveraging the audiences you know, the content you've produced historically, but creating it in a different storytelling format, 
you know, leveraging talent that you might have that's known around the community and just delivering it through video. And so, I mean, a good example would be, you know, there's a group, the, the, the newspaper in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, just to make it real specific, LNP Media, Lancaster Online. They've built a, a video that's series. Awesome. Yeah, called Pete Eats. And they got another one called The Food Dude. And they're just taking personality. The Pete Eats guy is a minor league baseball player who's known around town. And they just have them go into different restaurants, meet with different restaurateurs, sample the menu. It's all these kind of, you know, crazy food pics you'd see, giant burgers and burritos where we're all, you know, we're all, we're all popping our, the, the, the button on our pants just looking at it. Um, you know, and he's having a conversation with a general manager or a restaurateur. It's helping people understand in a very personal and fun way where they might want to take their family this weekend or go for a business lunch meeting or whatever it might be. And they've sold sponsorships. They've got a presenting sponsor. They've got some sub-sponsors. They're selling that on a, on a longer-term basis. So they're doing these videos as a series over, you know, maybe once a week, maybe twice a month, over many, many months. And there's recurring sponsorship dollars there. Uh, that, to me, is a good example of low-hanging fruit. Like, you're already covering your community. You know these businesses. There's nothing high-touch or high-tech about taking a camera in there and shooting that kind of conversation and it's the kind of content that people like. It's fun. It helps them. It gets them engaged with their community. And sponsors dig it. Sponsors think it's fun and it's a little bit more dynamic than, than you know, something that's just text-based. There are all kinds of examples like that, Rick, that I think aren't a very heavy lift, relatively speaking, and can actually, like, is it going to be change the game revenue? I don't think I'd go that far, but I think it can be incremental revenue for sure, and it can be well, you know, it can be recurring revenue. And I think the next step, one other thing I've mentioned is the next step is sort of going, all right, sponsorship is one thing. How do we do bigger sort of native advertising branded content video for our advertisers that is also high quality for our users, right? And I do think there's some interesting examples out there. I mean, I, I think a good example- K would be KSL like, is one of them. If KSL, <laughs> yeah. They're one of the best ones, right? They are. But even like Shaw Media, so Shaw Media does a native advertising program where it's a 12-month content calendar for an advertiser. Let's say it's a grocery store, and they're creating original content for that brand every month. They're creating a calendar with them, and they're, most of the content they're creating is in video form. It's video storytelling. So imagine it's 15-second recipes right? 15 second recipes for summertime or for fall tailgates or Christmas with families or whatever. It's a 12 month program and it's the storytelling is video. I think that's a good example. I know you guys know WRAL. This is broadcast side in Raleigh really well. They yes. do some great storytelling like this. That's, I don't think very complex. Um, you know, it's, uh, they've done, uh, as an example, they do great things with their high school sports coverage, bringing in, you know, that's video based, bringing in sponsorship dollars, They've even done some things with Facebook Live with car dealers, for instance, going into showrooms and talking to car enthusiasts about how to get your car winterized or how to get it ready for the, the football tailgate season or whatever. So, you know, I could go on and on, Rick, and I know you've got some ideas too, but those are a few that jump to mind where I go, you know what, these are not national brands doing this. This is not a severely heavy tech lift, and there are ways to make some real money here. Well, I, I think you bring up a good point. You know, I think Facebook Live is an opportunity. I think video native, you know, native video content advertising is an opportunity. And really I would encourage publishers and ad managers to look at, you know, what areas of your community business wise, are you not getting dollars from that? Maybe this type of advertising could play well for them. I look at, 
you know, I, I, I'll put my publisher hat back on, you know, we, you know, the medical community, dentists, pharmacists, you know, find, you know, look around your community and see, you know, which, which business leaders have maybe a, a pretty good personality would not be scared to be in front of the camera and would be happy to do a five minute Facebook live or a five minute native video about, you know, pharmacy, not just about their pharmacy, but, you know, about pharmaceutical news, you know, maybe it's, you know, tips for, you know, stay, you know, back to school, you know, back to school tips on keeping your kids healthy when they go back to school. Yep. There's a great, great native program that has some, you know, some value to the viewer, but then obviously is a great promotional play for the local pharmacy. Um, you know, I think, I, think that's, I think that's a great example. I'll give you another one. I know a TV station in El Paso, Texas, that's had a lot of success with Facebook branded content, but also this content lives on their site. And it's, it's, you know, a native program, like what you were talking about. And it's, it's, it's sponsored by a financial planning company. And it's basically like a monthly money minute. So it's, you know, either thinking about taking out a, you know, or redoing your, your, your loan on your house, your mortgage, or thinking about saving for college for your kids. It's a money minute. And it's not only sponsored by a financial services company, but they're actually bringing on the quote unquote talent to deliver that. And, and I don't know in that instance, if they were already getting, you know, dollars from that advertiser or not, but what a great way to showcase who they are in a way that's helpful to your audience. Well, I mean, let's face it, the days of, you know, the local Edward Jones professional sponsoring the stocks in the newspaper, you know, while they, that might still be there for some, for most, that's gone away. That's right. Here's a great way, to your point, to get those dollars back. Yeah, that's and right. It just takes a little bit of creativity uh, than just going out and selling, you know, uh, a package with 60 inches a month and maybe some banner ad impressions. We have to get a little creative as an industry. And I know a lot of folks are doing that. Shaw Media, WRAL, KSL, all great examples of that. Yeah. Hey, so, so you know, Jed, let's talk a little bit about what's on, what's on tap for the uh, local media association. I know you guys have a big event coming up this fall. Obviously, the mega conference is, uh, is on tap for uh, Las Vegas, I believe, in February. You guys have an innovation mission coming up. Uh, it seems like your guys' calendar is always full with some great uh, events and, uh, and takeaways for our, our partners. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this for a second, Rick. I think we're like you. We don't sleep, right? Because local media can't sleep. We got to be we got to be innovating and doing new things for our ecosystem. We uh, we just finished a conference in Chicago around selling digital marketing services and digital agency. Uh, as you mentioned, our next event, and it's our signature event of the year. It's usually our biggest event. I think it's a really dynamic event. It's great for corporate leaders and revenue executives is media transformation. It's September 25th through the 27th in Kansas City. Uh, we've got, I think the thing I would highlight there is we have three different concurrent workshops. So we're going to go really deep on some big topics that deserve more than just a panel or a discussion. And we're going to spend four or five hours kind of taking a bigger swing at those topics and having, you know, interactive and hopefully deeply collaborative conversations. One is completely focused on digital subscriptions, which is great. Another that I'll be leading is focused on sales leadership and sales management, how to empower sort of a new legion of sales managers uh, to then help our, our, our sales teams at the, at, the, uh, at the market level, at the street level. And then we have a third workshop that's really focused on hiring great talent, not just on the sales side, but across media, you know, a media company, how to you know, reimagine our brand to get top talent in, in, in this 
you know, complicated digital and multi-platform landscape. So those are a few of the things I'd highlight. We have a great keynote from Tegna, from Frank Munjim, who's their head of innovation. That'll be fun. So it's a, it's a great event. It's uh, it's in Kansas City, September 25 through 27. And and then we'll come back in November, November 12 through 14. So it's I think it's pressing it, Rick, that we were talking about subscriptions so much earlier in this conversation and how much energy and intent interest there is around that. And so our next innovation mission, and you know, Town News has been involved in these in the past, they're, they're great ways to bring the media community together for learning, for knowledge sharing, for networking, by going to visit a number of really interesting, provocative, both traditional media companies, digital media companies, technology companies. Uh, we'll go to New York, November 12th through 14th, and that entire innovation mission will be focused exclusively on digital subscriptions and consumer revenue. Uh, we'll spend a bunch of time at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, we'll spend a great time with her, with uh, with Gatehouse and the team there. We're, we're working to confirm the New York Times and Hearst. There's a bunch of others, but we know how much interest and how much need there is in that area. And so this will be probably the most, most focused innovation mission we've ever done on giving people new ideas and and best practices for for really growing subscription businesses. And and then lastly, I'll just quickly mention, you you mentioned Mega Conference. That'll be in February next year. And I know that seems a ways away, but it's funny how time flies. And mm. and that's always a great event because it brings together so many pockets of our industry, uh, big publishers, small publishers, everybody in between, the R&D ecosystem. And so we're just really kind of, you know, uh, doubling down on building that agenda right now. Uh, we had a great event this earlier this year. Uh, saw great growth in that event, great feedback around that event, uh, and I expect it to be another good one. Well, like you said, I mean, you know, we've had uh, what Brad Ward, our CEO at Town News, attended the innovation mission this year. Uh, the year prior, Christine Masters, our director of product development, attended an innovation mission. And the feedback from both Brad and Christine were, was just amazing. Um, you know, it's just such an awesome experience. And uh, trust me, it's definitely on my uh, to-do list, I think, for, for 2019. Um, I've let others go and now I'm a little jealous <laughs> for anybody listening who has not attended, uh, that's like me, that is definitely on the to-do list. I, I would highly encourage you to, to take a look at it and, and, and jump in. And again, the feedback from, from those who have attended from town news has been just astronomical. And, uh, as far as mega conference, um, it is by far our number one event at Town News in terms of promotion. And this year, um, we will be celebrating our 30th anniversary. Uh, and we're going to be playing a, a kind of a big event uh, at Mega Conference. So a little a little news there. So excited about that. That's awesome. I'll have the streamers and confetti and balloons ready to go. Yeah, no, we're definitely excited about that. And, uh, you know, Jed, again, I, I can't thank you enough uh, for joining me and, and taking the time to have this conversation. Um, the LMA, I will, I will say this, you know, how we feel at Town News is we can't um, show our appreciation enough for what you all do for the industry. Um, and we truly look at, at you all as, as partners in, in what we do for uh, local media. And, and I know that you and Nancy and the entire team there work, work so hard on behalf of all of our newspaper and broadcast partners. So just a, a big thank you for the work that you guys do. 
Uh, it's my pleasure. It really means a lot for you to to say that, particularly you know to hear that from from somebody like you at Town News, who is one of our best partners, has been one of our best partners forever, continues to be one of our best partners, continues to work so hard and diligently on so many of the biggest problems, solving the biggest problems that we have in the industry. I think obviously our organizations are very well aligned. We're both very mission focused. We're both very passionate about the work that we do and. You know, Rick, I'm excited for the second half of the year and what's to come. We've got a lot of work to do. There's a lot of big problems out there that need addressing, but I feel like there's progress to be made. I feel like publishers are getting more focused than ever. Uh, I feel like we're convening more and more honest, open, collaborative conversations where media companies don't view each other as competitively. They view each other as how can we help each other and lift all boats. That's where we've got to be. And uh, that's the discussion we want to continue to drive at LMA. I know it's the discussion you're driving at Town News, and, and we're excited to continue to collaborate with you on it. Absolutely. Hey, Jed, let's uh, catch up at a Starbucks next time we're uh, in person together. As long as they can spell my name right, you got a deal. I think they'll get Rick. I have no idea if they'll get Jed. Hey, I, I've been rock on many occasions, trust me. Well, right. from, uh, from, from Jeb or Chad to rock, I enjoyed the visit today. Well, there you have it, my conversation with Jed Williams, Chief Innovation Officer with the Local Media Association. I think it's quite apparent the passion that Jed has for the media industry, the amazing mind he has for ideas on how our partners can improve the content experience, increase digital subscription revenue, increase digital advertising revenue. You know, I can't stress enough how I think he is such an asset to our ecosystem, to our industry. And if you ever have a chance to bring Jed into your organization to facilitate a meeting, to speak to your team, just have a cup of coffee and a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I urge you to do so. Uh, again, Make sure and check out the local media association uh, for all of the great events that they have on tap. And also check out townnews.com. It really has been an amazing year here at Town News with the acquisition of the OTT platform back in November of last year, with the acquisition of Field 59 and the video management platform that we talked about on episode two of the podcast with, with Derek Debler the VP of Broadcast for Town News, and just uh, continued overall partnership growth uh, throughout the company. And um, one thing that I think truly does make Town News stand apart from our peers in the industry is how passionate we are to ensure that our media partners, again, whether it be newspaper, broadcast television, radio, digital pure plays are successful in every area of their business. And especially, of course, when it comes to digital media. So check us out at townnews.com. Again, make sure and check out the local media association. Again, a big, big thank you to Jed Williams. And make sure and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. It's a great way to get updates on when we post new episodes. And we'll be conducting an interview with one of our leading media partners next week. And episode four should be up the week of August 13th. 
Again, thanks for listening. Talk soon.